Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways cars connect us. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. 600 podcasts. That's Amazing. a lot of you and I talking. <laughs> That's a lot. I thought 500 was a lot. Yeah, it, well, 500 was a lot. It's just now we've topped that and yeah. said I can show you more. Yeah, and Jordan, sure. we see your comment, the very first one. Thank you for commenting. You said you remember 500 like it was yesterday. That's awesome. It was a year Can't ago. Can't believe we're doing this again. My, my son is now tallying it. He's like, oh, yeah, you did it a year ago. So apparently we do this every year now. Right, good. right. We have to. Guys, welcome back. We've got a bunch of questions. Please start asking. We've got a lot on social media as well. We're going to jump right in here because I said, bring us cars, movies, design, mm-hmm. whatever else is on your minds, current or not. We're going to be scrolling back and forth. Yeah, big time. And uh, there's there's a lot on it's here. It's exploding already. I love it. It's great. Peter Galindez says, what is the most successful platform sharing cars? Who did it first? He recalls the Sterion and Conquest from the mid 80s. Not sure oh. if it was successful. But he loved those cars. There have been many over the years. Most notably, I remember the Mazda 3 Series and the Ford Probe. I went to the Auto Alliance plant in Detroit as a tour when I was interning for Ford. And I went down there and I went, Ford Probes are built next to Mazdas? They can do that? I didn't know that. It's pretty funny. (laughs) But yes, I I think uh, it's up there. Mitsubishi 3000 GT, Dodge Stealth. Mitsubishi did a lot. And now Toyota is doing it with, you know... Pretty much everybody that wants They're, to do a car collaboration. Toyota is officially sleeping around. If you haven't, if you haven't gotten your call from oh, Toyota, just wait. It may happen because oh, they're looking. So they're looking for collaboration. Well, they are, but wait, they're doing, they doing well at it. Though they are. They're, it's they're picking, turning out. It's not like it's a, partners. a bad thing. Yes. They're, they're crossbreeding it's well. Successful. They really are. Yes, it's all. It's all good. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a question that I kind of want to cover. Uh, Bob, you asked this question. It is lengthy. I'm going to see if I can cover it quickly, though. You've said you asked us before. You said favorite TV episode. Favorite YouTube episode, favorite Fast Blast movie, etc. Um, I think favorite movie is uh, is American Original. Mm-hmm. See, see what I did there? Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. my favorite movie. I I loved making that one, and I think that was the one I was the most surprised by because I love doing Fifty Years of Nine Eleven. I love doing Icon. Pilgrimage was incredibly fun, and let's be honest, Pilgrimage started the whole pilgrimage trip thing. We didn't expect mm-hmm. it when we made mm-hmm. it. Right, right. Midages Mountains was literally a dream run to have an Elise, a 4C, and a Cayman, and to run some of the best roads in California. That was just a dream adventure for sure. Yeah, I agree. But American Original, not only did I feel like we'd refined what we do on these big feature films, but also I think the Corvettes surprised me the most as we got in and researched and learned the history and drove the cars. I, my my perception of Corvettes broadened so much, and I discovered some cars. I was like, "This one's amazing. Where has yeah. this been?" At, at a level that the others hadn't done it for me. So that's favorite feature film. What about you? Uh, what I can't believe is that is coming up on three years ago when we shot it. I know. And by the way, the Google Maps is still up. If you look it to see in Echo, Utah, where we shot the clothes, you can still see the satellite image. And so we all joked. It, it went overhead from. In a two-hour time period, and captured all the cars at once, and so we joked we we shoot with satellites, not telephoto lenses. Uh, my actually, the favorite TV episode, Bob, was the Griot's Garage episode, the custom oh, really? icons, okay. and also the Haggerty uh, Dream Drive on PCH because they weren't cars that we typically drive. Mm-hmm. They were very much out of our purview and. Mm-hmm just something totally different. And so our headspace had to come in not reviewing the car as if people were buying it. We came in reviewing the car as if we're we're just experiencing it. And Mm. I like the car or I don't like this, but 
Who cares? It's part of the experience. And yeah. of course, we love the cars anyway, too. You might think the 911 film is my favorite. And yes, I did love doing that. But the Corvette piece was up there, too, just really? from okay. the, the sheer back-to-back part of it and discovering mm-hmm. cars like the C4 ZR1. Yeah. I, yeah. I had no idea. I knew it was good, and I knew it was sort of a hot run. I thought, okay, it's probably pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. But I was shocked at how much I like it. That's cool. By the way, Ross, real quick, I'm saying hi. You're checking in from your own live podcast of the Off the Road <laughs> nice. Again podcast. Very nice. cool that you guys are here. Uh, that's really great. Also, speaking TV episode for me, I actually think, Bob, my favorite TV episode is the Million Dollar Highway one from last season. Oh, yeah. And I, I say yeah. that because we that was had good. a unique opportunity there. Good. Not only was the road great, and we happened to be there at the perfect time of year with the leaves turning yellow. It was amazing. I, and the road was awesome. So cinematically, the filmmaker and me really liked it. But because it was our cars, mm-hmm. it was the cheap mm-hmm. sports cars, we, we, we got to come in already kind of familiar. So we're sharing with you a little bit about the cars. Yeah. But it wasn't like, okay, so you need to know all about these cars. They're brand new. So it kind of allowed us to be a little more just, can you believe we're here? And it's the piece sure. that, for me, best captures why we drive, <laughs> it, why we all drive. You that, know? and we were going, yeah, but the cars we have weren't just the right well, ones. They were fine. Yeah, we wished we were in our own but, perfect <laughs> sports cars. But yeah. but it, but I, I feel like that episode really captures, it. when I watch it, I'm like, yes, that's the feeling that I get when I drive mm-hmm. and why I like to drive and why many of you like to drive. That's why that's favorite TV episode. The Fast Blast, I don't know. I mean, there's, we've had a lot of fun ones over the years. Oh, I can tell you the Fast Blast. That oh, is the okay. Cadillac CT4, the most recent car where GM phoned that one in. It's it's, you went off a bit. Oh, the reason yes. is, is because all the stuff we had to cut out. And I was going, yeah, I can't, I can't let that in there. <laughs> but we just sort of allowed ourselves to kind of rant and let it go a bit. But we hear the CT4 and CT5 black wing editions are mm-hmm. indeed pretty good. So GM, we'd, we'd love to drive those uh, you know, sooner rather than later. I hear they're having a chip shortage or something. Everyone is having a chip shortage. <laughs> F-150, by the way, F-150s are still rolling out of the plant every like 60 seconds. Well, and now Kansas they're just, City, they're now not. Now they're just parking them. Kansas City, they're not. They shut that down for a month. Did they? Okay. Yeah. Because they've been, they've been maybe literally they, parking maybe them they, without <laughs> the brain. Oh, well, yeah, maybe they're still building them. Exactly. exactly. Those are all new, kind of, new and unfinished. Anyway, yeah. Travis Bacon asks a question on social media, and he says, hey, you guys still talking to Tom Helmanzik in Germany? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yes, we are. If you'd like to follow him, his Instagram is Autobahn Driver, and we we always scroll through, and we're going, oh, Tom got to drive that. Uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah, he got to drive that. He gets thrown cars at him. He gets everything. It's which great, is yeah. hilarious. And, you know, like the Yaris GR. So we're waiting for the Corolla GR mm-hmm. any time. He's an automotor in sport, which is just fun to say. In sport. Yeah, yes, exactly. That, mm-hmm. That's that's one of the premier, if not the premier German car magazine, one of the premier ones in all of Europe. He's there, which means he goes to the ring to do testing often, which I find just like, how did that happen? Well, yeah. But, uh, and he grew up 45 minutes from the ring, so yes, it's his exactly. backyard. But he'd never been on it until he went with us for the pilgrimage trip. And which now is he practically really, lives there, it's which, weird, is, which yeah. is great for him. But <laughs> yeah. he's doing very well, except for the fact that Germany has been in and out of lockdown in COVID madness. He's doing very well. He's still getting cars. He's still doing great work. And we follow him for sure. Indeed. Oh, the one KEA, the one Kia says, good evening, Paul. What is the best method to clean the pedal box? Hmm? Really, it comes down to elbow grease. You got to get down in there. And I agree. It does get messy. And when you have clean pedals... People notice. Just like you have a clean engine, people go, wow, this is a pretty nice car here. You know yeah. what you do? You keep your hood closed and you don't open the door. Problem solved. 
So what you want to do is use Griot's Interior Cleaner. Mm -hmm. It's mild. It works the best. So it'll clean some of the plastics. But be careful about putting any vinyl treatment or plastic treatment Mm. on the pedals because you you don't want your feet to slip off. So just stop at the clean stage and you're good. Don't actually go further than that because I did that one time and my feet slipped off the pedals and it wasn't good. That's all bad. Uh, The one Kia asks me a question about Paper Father. When will it be available on Apple iBooks? Thanks for the reminder. It dawns on me that I'm getting to a place where the Amazon exclusivity is ending and so I can put it on Apple iBooks. I'll be honest with you. It's it's new for me. So I'm not sure what the level of interest is on other platforms. Send us an email. Make a comment here. Uh, that's educational for me for sure. Indeed. Stephen Plum says he will ask again in a more coherent way. Best manual gearbox on a new or newer car outside of a Porsche GT3 or GT4. I will say that Miata RF has me in love. It's just it's just great. I mean, I know it's the same gearbox on all the Indy Miatas, but it, it's that gearbox <laughs> combined with the power, but it has to be in the RF for me. I, I really like that car, and it just it came to life. Good. The gearbox needed more power going through it, clearly. Uh, Kai mentions that he wanted to buy one of these Happiness Ahead shirts, and they're not currently available on Blipshift. This is something we're still figuring out. Yep. I'll let you know. I mean, I've got the ad brightness on. You've got American Original. Blipshift, as you know, likes to put things available for a while and then remove them. So we're trying to figure out with them, we're actually in collaboration with them, to figure out a rotation of when shirts come back. So we are going to bring both these back. If you're listening a year from now, it probably has cycled through at least once. Yeah, so hopefully. thank you for your interest. Indeed. You can go to everydaydriver.com, the store tab. You can get to Amazon or Blipshift. These shirts are all listed but they're not all still available. They will all circle back around. So thank you for that. And by the way, a big shout out to Mandy who came up with the idea for, if you're a nineties kid, I like big rear end of a nine, nine, two. And I cannot lie. She came up with that and I have one. And I was walking through the airport when we, when, when was our last travel? It was about uh, three weeks ago, yeah, walking yeah. through the airport and I kept wondering, like, why is everybody looking at me? Like, oh, right, I'm wearing the shirt. That's much better than wearing yeah. the, uh, the <laughs> I'm drunk, that's ugly shirt to Walmart, which I did by accident. <laughs> you did that yeah. by accident. I did that. Couldn't I'm figure out why people the, were staring at me. Yeah. The flight attendant's getting on the airplane plane today. She was like, what is your shirt now? What does that say? I said, oh, you got to no. be a 90s kid. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so many good ones. They're flying by. I'm having trouble oh, yeah. losing the ones that I wanted. But anyway, they're coming back. Oh, yeah. Grief. We've got a question. Uh, Devin Bain says, when is Todd going to go to the Mr. Clean look? And what does Paul recommend for that eventually? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the years are ticking by. Hey. Uh, Colin says, just moved to the L.A. area. We just experienced this, by the way. Just moved to the L.A. area. He's never experienced the urge to speed on a freeway until driving on the L.A. freeways. We just got back from a shoot outside yeah. Los Angeles. Yeah. And we had uh, two rather quick cars. We had the M4, Beaver Teeth and all. And we had the Mustang Mach 1. And L.A. has two settings. You're either sitting still on the freeway or everyone is going 80. Yeah, so if you're you're somebody like we are, where you kind of subconsciously go just a tiny bit faster than traffic, that means 85 or more. Always moving, always purposeful through traffic. So, yeah, yeah, we were hunting it down. I I totally get it, Colin. That is absolutely a thing, for sure. Ted Adam Green says, for me, when, when did the hidden front bumper design element start and why? Was it pedestrian crash regulations? No, I actually kind of saw this happening when I was in design school, mid-90s, late 90s, and that was the Audi TT. When Freeman Thomas drew that sketch and there were no bumpers, mm, there, there was mm. nothing flush, nothing standing proud, and everybody kind of went, you can do that? 
And indeed, and that's what really set Audi off on their giant grill design. And so you can still see that crash bar in there in a lot of designs. Mm-hmm. Many times it's just blacked out now. But on the Lexus, on the BMWs, the Beaver Teeth, Audis, of course, you can all see it in there. And it's just a little bit of flush urethane or you know plastic grill, that kind of thing, just covering that up. And that just cleans up the car design. It actually really freed up car designers to do new and different things. And that Audi TT, when that came out in 1998, I think, people were using that to just, you know, kind of free themselves up for new designs. And I really think that had a huge influence and just sort of the bumper list like, yeah, we can have giant openings and the crash regulations are still in there. They're still intact. Dartman says, do we feel like we've already driven our favorite car ever or is it still out there or not yet developed? That is difficult. That is difficult. I will say that the more things I drive in the modern time, the more I truly believe that the Lotus Elise was a complete moment in time and will not be returned to. And that makes it much harder Mm -hmm. for me to ponder getting rid of mine because on on one level, I feel like this is a car I've had. I've had the experience. I I think I could move on, even though I've got some really cool road trips planned this year. But uh, there's another part of me that goes, if I let this go, there's not a next in that category. That is really as far as the, the industry is going to go in that direction. And then it kind of snaps and goes other places. I mean, if you look at electric power steering, and I mean, which, I mean, come on. At the time the Lotus was made, everybody was doing hydraulic with a few exceptions oh, sure. of electrics. I mean, sure. the whole industry has shifted away from everything that that Elise does. I don't know that my all-time favorite, but it's definitely something that I don't know is going to come back around at all. The thing I like is we keep discovering stuff both older that we've never driven, witnessed the Corvette film and other things, and new stuff that somebody just released. We're like, this is a surprise. Mm, it's, mm-hmm. it's honestly, at this point, we've been doing this long enough. That's the thing I like the most. I've mentioned this before. I just like being surprised. I don't care if it's a seven-seat SUV. I just being like, that's that's much better than I would have ever thought, or that's a great solve, or this drives sure. really well. I love that surprise element of cars in all categories, and I hope that never stops. I'll add to that and say you heard the last podcast, episode 599, with Craig Martell. He is head of machine learning for Lyft, and his insights into what machine learning is doing for components of cars was actually encouraging for me. Mm. It wasn't all what we think, and we're, you know, we've got this, we know what the future holds, and it's not good. That's That was not his point. And now we're seeing, you know, continued investigation into hydrogen engines and, you know, besides electric and Porsche doing synthetic fuels and all that kind of stuff. And so what we experienced from cars in the past was this is the only way we know how to build a car. This is the mm-hmm. linkage. That's the suspension. That's really what we're doing here. But I liked hearing that. And it was very encouraging for me to know that tech will be applied to our favorite things in the future. And so I will say no. I will I will say that. Yes, there are cars now that we love that will be benchmarks, like you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for the future, I think there will be cars that will surprise us. I'm saying that with a lot of optimism, I know, but Mm. let's apply the tech. We just experienced it. We were shooting the Mustang Mach 1 against the BMW M4. That's for TV Season 9. We were shooting that just recently, just this week. And to, to feel tech applied to a manual transmission and a throttle and suspension. Mm. Magnetic ride on all the cars is a great example. Yeah. We don't want to drive a car without magnetic suspension. It's so good. Civic Type R, GM vehicles, Ford, all these companies making magnetic ride suspension. That kind of thing that transforms a car and makes it do new things, that's exciting. So I will say no with a caveat. <laughs> Game Bear says, do either of us have dogs? If so, what's the safest way to travel with them? They just got a new uh, puppy, and he's desperate to protect it. I have two dogs. I have uh, Sierra. She is ancient. She is (laughs) almost 15. 
Uh, she's reached that point in her life where her back legs sometimes don't work that well. And uh, when she needs to go to the bathroom, she just does. She's like, I'm here, and this is happening now. So mm-hmm. that's the age she is. Uh, <laughs> she's sweet as can be, but that, but she's old. And then we have Wasatch, mostly my son's dog, but uh, he's also quite fast. We call him the land porpoise because you go uh, biking with him, and he just jumps up out of the bushes and keeps going. So <laughs> biking along and just I catch out of the peripheral yes. of my eye just this dog. I'm like. Yeah, it's it's bushes, 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 dog, bushes, yeah. bushes, bushes, dog. Like, it's crazy. That, yeah. Oh, guess that sure. was a dog. Okay, yes, we're, exactly. We're continuing. So uh, he is nuts. <laughs> he is uh, about three and has a lot of energy. Look, it depends on how your dog rides in the car, but if you're concerned about it, you can definitely get the dog harnesses that go around the chest and clip into seat belts, and that really solves that problem. Uh, teach your dog to ride in the car without riding in your lap. Teach your dog to ride in the car and not have to walk around the car. Sierra was always bad about walking around the car. We had to tether her. Wasatch is always like, oh, it's a car. So he'd mm-hmm. curl up in a seat. Right. So it just depends on your dog a bit too. Question here from Russell Matheson. Russell, how you doing? He says, any plans for a caravan on the road trip across to the Texas meet for Memorial Day weekend? Might Ooh, be cool wow. to get a group of cars. I will say we aren't able to participate. If you come up with something and, and that happens, wonderful. But it's days away from getting production done or mm-hmm. other things done for us. And so it's hard to be able to justify that unless we're shooting for some sort of you know, road trip purpose. But that's a long drive for us. I continue to hear how big Texas is and how long it is across the states. But yes. I will say that we are definitely looking at a September Utah meetup right now. Mm-hmm. There probably will be a drive involved in that. More details to come. But for those of you listening now in May 2021, we are planning a Memorial Day weekend meetup. So it's Friday, May 28th, and Saturday, May 29th. And uh, so, yeah, you can go to everydaydriver.com, go to the Adventures tab, and you can find the sign-up sheet right there. And uh, big thanks to Mandy for mm-hmm. managing all that. And uh, you can send questions to her as well. And, yeah, we will do a Utah meetup. We're still planning that. That, that says kind of registration pending, but it is a September thing. And it's going to be a couple days, which is going to be very exciting. Yep. And I'm sure I will miss a bunch of questions. Apologies in advance. Oh, yeah, there's tons They're of flying in. This is great, guys. Thomas uh, G22 asked me uh, via our normal social media. We actually post every, if you aren't familiar already, we do a podcast every Tuesday and Friday. Those are audio only except for these big hundreds. So uh, if we always ask for questions via social media, all of our social media channels on Mondays and Thursdays, we ask for questions. That's when we record. Hi, Thursday night, by the way, because we're recording right now. Uh, so we've got this question from Thomas G22. In my opinion, what makes a good director and what makes a bad director? Mm-hmm. I've pondered this. This is hard because some of the some of the <laughs> how th- long do you want to spend on this? I'm not going to spend too long. But some of the things I want to say about what makes a good director, some of my favorite directors don't do. But okay. let me explain. There, there's the workaday director, the guys that direct a set. That could be TV, that could be film, whatever. That that's that's what their job is. It's what they do. And then there yeah. are guys I would define as filmmakers, the auteur theory, theory okay. meaning they came up with the concept, they wrote the script, they're directing, they're going to lord over post. They may have been one of the editors. These kind of guys, kind of two different categories. A, a guy that's a really good director, you'll find, I think, that it's guys that are calm and keep the troops calm and mm. create a set where everybody because directing is 8,000 questions all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Every little bit of minutia. You've got to be able to zoom in and answer a, do you like this fabric for the extra on the left? <laughs> Seriously? Zoom, oh, yeah. Do you zoom, and zoom back out and be like, no, 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 no. Hang on. We can't set up that because that changes these other three setups in these other scenes. You have to be able to zoom in and out and handle that. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in the brain for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys that are good about it create a scenario where everybody in every department feels like they're being benefited and actually feels like they've got a good work environment. Hollywood has a bad history 
of escalating people that are jerks and are abusive to people because they're creative. Mm -hmm. This is my problem with some of the filmmakers I like, the auteur guys. Sure. I love Peter Jackson. I like uh, Christopher Nolan's one of my all-time favorites, and so is James Cameron. Um, Those guys sometimes have a history of not being very nice on set, Mm. but they do great work. And I hope that I mean, the, is that to get good work out of people, you know, yelling and screaming or just, you know, see, I think trying I, to pull that out. I of don't them? care who you is are. It, I, is I think, it passion? Don't mistake that for passion for the project. See, or? yelling and screaming, I think is unacceptable across the board. I, don't I agree. I don't care who you are. But, but what happens is a lot of these guys are so embedded. They're, they're headed that way and they're going to get it done. And if you can't do it to their category, they'll step in and do your job. Yeah. And on some level that inspires people to move ahead. So I don't like some of, some of the anger that comes up with that, but those guys that can control everything, I'll just stay with Christopher Nolan, the guys that can control everything. It just astounds me how good mm-hmm. they are. So I really wow. do like that. I try to be an easy place to, to work with. Um, you'll have to ask people other than me how that goes as a director. <laughs> got a question here from Rick. Who's got a silly one. He says, do we believe in good driver karma? He feels burned a lot yesterday and today on Interstate 15. He blew by a tripper going 85 in a 70, today 90 in front of a city cop. Mm. No lights. That won't last, Rick. (laughs) What we all do is called pay to play. Mm -hmm. Eventually it will because you think... Yeah, I don't need the radar detector today. I'm I'm good. And then, you know, last year I was driving the Mercedes GLC 43. Amazing SUV. I looked down, 84. Over the hill comes a UHP officer. Oh. Got me. Yeah. Like, ah, pay to play. It's part of the deal. Ian Dara asks, when I am reading someone else's work, do I read uh, fiction or nonfiction? I prefer fiction. I just do. I, I've taken nonfiction now and then, and I just feel like I'm I'm – I don't know. I've never really connected a lot of nonfiction stuff for me. I feel like everything that they had to say happened in two chapters and the book's 12 chapters long. It's like grow, grow. It's yeah, it doesn't work for me. I do like fiction, especially when it's well done. Avi Ram says, what are we using for the podcast? These are sure SM seven B microphones and final cut pro for the edit. I just like, like having that extra amount of control and fine tuning when I'm doing the, uh, the podcast edit, but uh, you're seeing it live here. So yeah, for sure it's cool. What else? Uh, oh, Jason B. says, since we ignore Twitter, we don't completely ignore Twitter. I've got a question I pulled today yeah. from Twitter, but okay. All right, whatever. <laughs> says, do we have any personal rules that you uphold when shopping for a car? He says, for example, he cut himself off from any car that's MSRP was more than his annual salary, regardless of the used value it's currently worth, because he doesn't need to overspend once it starts wearing through parts or breaks down. Uh, hmm. Unless I'm... My my shopping has been kind of all over the place, and I will admit that my shopping for the past decade and more has been definitely affected by what Todd and I do mm-hmm. because of all the cars that we get. We can either say, yeah, I love it, and here's who this is for, and we, we like it for those reasons, but I don't want it. I don't want to see it in my garage. So our car buying has now turned to what can we do that is good for the show? What can we do that will you know be a long-term car comparison yep, or yep. – you know? Anything in that range, we're looking at what can we do for the show to you know talk about in that sense. But you know, I I agree with you. <laughs> Spending as much as your annual salary is hard to swallow. So I, I guess that's a good rule. But I've never even thought of that. I've always thought about need first, and sports cars are a need. <laughs> <laughs> I actually we, we were traveling, and I just got home today, and I made sure that I drove. 
both the Z4 and the Lotus. Brought the Lotus over here tonight. They need exercise. They need exercise. Absolutely. It's Telling crazy. I go to errands in one and I come back and drive the other yeah. one over here. And, and I said to Paul, I had a really controversial hot take, <laughs> and that is that uh, rear-wheel drive, manual transmission, light sports cars are fun. I know it's crazy <laughs> to say, but I do fully <laughs> believe that. Thomas Downey has a question uh, for me. He says, uh, yes, I occasionally bring up stories from my time on a swim team. It's been a while since I've done that. He swam through college and loves meeting other swimmers outside the pool. What is my swimming background? What were my favorite events? I was more in high school swimmer, but I did play water polo as well in the off seasons and was thinking about doing it collegiately. But then, of course, I went to design school. And so the design school didn't have a swim team. They weren't real competitive as swimmers? No, didn't even have a dorm. You live Mm -hmm. off campus. It's just the school and just the classrooms. So, yes, I swam in high school. Backstroke was my thing and and 200 IM. So I really loved doing the, the short endurance races and yeah, I, I've been thinking about getting back to swimming. To be out, to be honest, I just I love getting back in and and uh, just going for it. So healthy exercise. Thanks uh, for the question. Ph asked if we're going to make this available on YouTube. Yes, this this live stream will stay on YouTube, just like number five hundred. It will be there. So if you want to watch yep. it later, you certainly can. Yep, indeed. Dustin Marshall says, "Does the color of dash lights turn mm. you off of a certain vehicle?" The orange-red color of older Pontiacs and now Mazda is a huge turnoff. Don't forget the 80s Audis at all. Would something seemingly so small prevent us from buying a vehicle? I don't think that's small at all because you're probably Mm. spending at least half, if not a quarter of your time in your car at night. Mm. And so if it annoys you, yeah, that's a problem. But I think orange has been, you know, for me, it's represented the old Audis and BMW. And I've, I've liked it because it's different and it always got my attention, sort of kept me engaged in my driving. But of course, now every car manufacturer is giving you all the options, 64 million colors to decide from, yes. click, click, you know, click, what do you want? Click, click, click. And then click, yeah. now the instrument panel changes because it's all digital. And so it's different skins for different modes of the car, which is great. Uh, so. uh, look, as much as I am not OCD about a lot of these things, every now and then we find one. And this is one for me. <laughs> I, I'm not that concerned about the color of dash lights. However, I am concerned when I put aftermarket stereos in cars that mm. those can be changed to match the dash lights. Right. They're, I, they're making those with all the colors. Where you so can you flip can match through the colors. It. And so now if I'm putting an aftermarket stereo in, I want to make sure that you can change the colors because I want it to feel like it's in the same family as whatever the car came with. Uh, that's just something that bugs me. Uh, <laughs> right. Twitter. Here's something. Xavier JW on Twitter says, congratulations on 600. Thank you. We can't believe we're he- here either, by yeah, the way. no kidding. Would we rather have a sporty version of an economy car, like a Fiesta ST, Civic SI, or WX, with a stick shift? Or a sporty version of an entry or mid-level sedan luxury car like a G37, an AMG, or an Acura with an auto? Mm, mm-hmm. the, the quick answer is I prefer stick shift. However, the <laughs> thing we're finding of late more and more and more, and it's been talked about elsewhere, is that not all stick shifts are created equal. Indeed. So Indeed. sometimes if you get a, a, a modern car with a stick shift, the stick shift is the financial afterthought in the building of that car, and it isn't a good manual transmission. It may be manually. <laughs> think, okay, I can engage. And you're just like, this isn't really very good. And the automatic of the same model is brilliant. That's starting to happen more and more and more because they know most everybody's going to buy the auto, so they put all the, the money and time and, and good feelings into that, if you will. So I would say that's the, the harder answer. I would prefer a stick shift car for a fun car. Let's hope the stick shift is good. Indeed. Well, a uh, question here from Glenn Paisley, who has an opportunity to go to the Pikes Peak Hill Climb this year. Have we ever been or do we have any thoughts? Absolutely, we would love to go. We've never been. We've always wanted to do something around that. But to shoot it, we have to have nobody there, essentially. <laughs> 
So to go to the hill climb, you're you're camped out. But I will say, uh, I will give a big shout out to Nick Arbuckle who is listening. Nick, show yourself on the the feed here because Nick is one of the the people that supports us with press cars here in Utah. Big big shout out to him. He has been amazing to us, and I believe Nick is supporting the Pikes Peak event mm. uh, and supporting with vehicles. I'm not sure if he'll be there, but he is in uh, he's Colorado based. So Nick, thank you so much, Ben. I'm I'm actually scrolling backwards because there were a bunch we started that I missed. I'm trying yeah, to find agreed. it. There's so many good ones here. I appreciate it, guys. Agreed. Ben Grian says, is the Jaguar XJL a sleeper, cool dad car, supercharged V8 with room for car seats? Yeah, totally. I, if you get it in black, then that C-pillar that's also black <laughs> that we heard from Jason Camisa, you know, when he was talking to, you know, Ian and... Um, Anyway, so the McCallums, he, yeah. It, yeah. The, yeah, Ian was um, had a bit too much to drink in the back of the taxi cab, and, yeah, and he got a little of, he got a little verbose. He, he was he sharing a bit too much, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, if you get in black, yeah, you'll you'll never uh, you'll never see that. But I I say yeah, why not? Chris asks about Pacatel. Just to clarify, this is Porsche Experience Center Atlanta Pacatel. They call it that too. So anyway, See, we, we yeah. were hanging out with Edgar this week and we mentioned it twice and he looked at me and his eyes glazed over and he said, where now? So Pacatel. Uh, Chris is asking about uh, the Porsche Experience Center in Atlanta and he's saying right now they're doing lead follow. Of course they are because most folks are not doing uh, instructor right seat. Is it worth going with lead follow or would it better have somebody in the right seat? Uh, I actually think there's great stuff to be learned by having a guy in the right seat. Now, that can mm-hmm, go wrong. Mm-hmm. It's more frightening for the instructor than it is for the person doing the driving generally because the person doing the driving starts to get in the zone of, well, if I'm going to do something stupid, he'll tell me. you got to still drive. That's, that's key. Uh, I think there's a lot more nuance you can learn by having somebody in the right seat because here's the thing about lead follow. If you're the car right behind the instructor, I think it can be brilliant. If you're three or four back, you're, it's it's a game of telephone. Mm-hmm. The, the, the yeah. cars in front of you might be terrible, and so you're having trouble learning the nuance. Everybody the, gets it wrong, and then a more little bit wrong, wrong, and then more exactly. wrong. Exactly. The yeah. instructor may have nailed it, but if you're fourth car back, there's all that happening. So I prefer somebody ride seat. Mm. Uh, I've got a question here from Flick Titty who says, "Have we driven the Lexus GSF? We don't hear. We don't recommend them that often." Yeah, it's because it's a larger, heavier car, and we're mm. always looking for the lighter weight driving experience, and so. We're we're only really recommending that when we find the right niche because there are some people that want a larger car mm-hmm. and that's fine. But you know we're always trying to do best in category or best in class. Audi TT is a great example. It's fun. I've got a friend who works at Honda. His name's Damon Shell. He's a designer at Honda and Acura, and he's he's had TTs and Audis for a long time, and he loves his TT. And uh, I just yeah I. TTs are great in my mind. I'd rather have a Cayman. So, but everybody has their personal preference. Dartman asks, am I ever late because I don't wear a watch? Well, let's see. I have a phone down there that has a clock. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The screen yeah, here has yeah, a clock. Yeah. There are clocks all around me. I know what time it is. I just don't do that. Yeah, right, anyway. right. Oh, Kirk Wagner says, many of our videos are in dry mountain locales. Is there a particular region that we do most of our shoots? Well, we have found that we've got to do shooting year round, of course. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of shoots that are really cold, but they don't look like it on camera. You'll see snow. That's true. Yeah. We're freezing our butts off. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And there's others that are sometimes so sloppy or snowy or whatever that is. As a matter of fact, a good example is the SUV comparison that we just shot in Estes Park, Colorado. Mm -hmm. That'll be the first, no, second episode of season nine. And so it was snowing. (laughs) You will see 
blizzarding. You know, it's just that time of day and we've got to get the work done. And so, all right, this is our weather. This is how it went, went down. So, yes, but in general, we love getting, you know, the beautiful dry roads. The reason being is we can push a car harder. We can mm-hmm. find more yeah, out yeah, about yeah. the car and not, you know, just say, all right, well, we couldn't push it too hard. But I will say a Durango Hellcat on all seasons in Estes Park when it's blizzarding, kind of scary. Yeah, very. Spirit, not not, kinda not kind of. Very scary. That was, that yeah. was like a nine. Mm-hmm. That was way up there. Yeah. What else? Electric mountain bikes. Thomas Hall's asking, do we like them or not? What's interesting is uh, Park City, our area here where we mountain bike a lot, has got a lot of mountain bike trails, huge infrastructure for it. And a lot of them have signage that says no electric bikes on these trails because they're worried about the the speed differential mainly. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's twofold. I think electric bikes are great. I think when you get into trails where you're going up and down doing mountain mountain riding, I'm of two minds about it because I want to feel like everybody up there is fully earning it. But at the same time, the great thing about electric mountain bikes or electric bikes of any kind is if you're a person who's just now getting into biking or you don't have a lot of mobility and it can help you do sure, it, sure. I think it's phenomenal. I, I kind of appreciate that there's a lot of electric bikes all over our area, but there are certain trails that they keep them off of. I kind of feel like that's the best balance you can do. I mean, they're going to continue to get better and better Absolutely, and slimmer. Yes, their chassis yes. will get continually slimmer. I've seen some bikes that are the really new ones and you can barely tell mm-hmm. they're electric and the person just pedals slowly away and they're going, <laughs> how are you that? <laughs> str- oh, yeah, right. Electric sure. bikes. Crazy. Uh, let's see a question on here from Matt Lonerchance who says, is it his imagination or have drivers become more reckless over the past year? Do we think people are trying to burn off their COVID restlessness? <laughs> yeah. It manifests itself in just about every way imaginable. And you know, the frustrations of your day combined with just restlessness of getting out. Absolutely. We were reminded that of again, driving that, you know, in LA in dusk evening time, we're just, trying not to make ourselves be known, you know, just cruising through traffic, just slightly faster. But then some people just blow by us like, okay, have at it. There's always somebody faster, man. The LA, LA driving, uh, Average speeds are quite high. Chris Simmons, uh, you're asking a, a grenades and uh, you know, landmines and rakes question here. Chris Simmons <laughs> says, do we believe that Tesla's full self-driving will actually better than the average driver by year's end? Chris, mm. the, the most tactful way I can say this is it is impossible to actually believe anything Tesla is saying about what their full self-driving will do and when it will do it by. Mm-hmm. If you just look at any of the history, and I'm not saying pro or con their technology because they do good technology, but they have not hit a single milestone. And everything yeah. they said it was going to do, it hasn't done in the time frame. So the, the commentary about full self-driving sells cars, and more importantly, sells stock. <laughs> but exactly. I don't think you could put any stock in it. Logan Anderson says bowling. And do we dabble in it? If so, what's our bowling. best score? 234 is Logan's best. I, I admit I only do it, you know, with a group of friends and you decide we haven't been bowling forever. So let's go. But <laughs> the biggest thing is you've got to have your bowling name. It's not your real name. It's got to be something completely different. So mine's always Slim Jim when I go bowling. Slim Jim. I like it. Uh, Richard asks me if Paper Father was made into a movie, who would I want to have directed? Wow, is that a hard question? Because here's the thing. I hope it, I hope it finds that kind of audience. That would be awesome, Richard. Yeah. I, think, I think you've actually read it, so I really appreciate it. Uh, I, my preference would be, if, if I could pick it, is that that is about an eight-part TV series. I would prefer that. 
So, Hmm. because I think it would be better as a TV series. Hmm. One of the things that it needs is just some time for stuff to happen. It's a long road trip movie, and it needs that time to have the right tone. Having said that, what you see in a lot of TV series, I'm going to try to make this quick, is that you'll have a director that directs the pilot and sets the tone, and then to follow its other directors. So I'm Mm -hmm. just going to go, there's a few I can think of, but here's one. David Fincher, because he's done some TV, but he's done a lot of films. And one of the things you just told me about him the other day. He's, He's a fascinating director and started when he was really really young but what he does really really well is set tone okay if you watch his movies they all have a world that feels very well defined and so since i have this this world that i created i think he could set the tone i mean look i'm pie in the sky dreaming here but if it was a tv series and somebody was going to direct the pilot i think that'd be awesome question from greg bratland who asks what would we say is the sweet spot budget wise where a person could buy and sell a used car every six to twelve months wow to gain a bunch of different experiences and have it only cost registration and maintenance. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at our cheap sports car challenge and the cheap sedan challenge just before that. He's thinking about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. I think that's still on the high end because of registration and maintenance is still ah, that's still a lot at that level. So I would say hmm, ten to fifteen probably is my sweet spot, just like we done did with the the uh, sedans and the cheap sports cars. So I'm thinking 10 to 15, somewhere in there, because if you're going to do a lot of turnover, you want it just expensive enough so you can hand the dirty diaper to someone else. (laughs) As you did with your Maserati. Exactly. How's that going? Uh, Brendan, (laughs) I want to ask you a question real quick because you're asking a track day question and you're saying, how much does the typical track day cost for us? He has a brand new WRX that he wants to track and his friends have told him, do not do it. You will go bankrupt. Brendan, there are layers to how much you can go down this rabbit trail. The problem is if you start tracking a lot, it gets very expensive very quick. If you're a person who wants to take your car and you want to do three or four track days a calendar year, mm-hmm. it's not that expensive. It's a few hundred dollars. It depends on who you go with. It can be as cheap. I've seen as cheap as like 150 for a track day. I've seen as expensive as like 500. So mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. track day, what group are you with, what track are you on, all that varies. That's the cost to get on the track. Now you're taking your daily car to the track. You're going to burn through some of your t- the meat of your tires. If right, you're going right. every weekend, you're going to go through tires. You go three or four times a year. Okay, you may have taken a year off your tires in the life of your tires, but yeah. okay. You're going to go through brake pads. You may have to do things like fluids. But you, unless you're going to go all the time, your consumables aren't going to be that high. If you have a very heavy car, you're driving very fast, you're doing it every weekend, you might need a second job. right all right ian dara says they everybody is still waiting on watches whiskey and design when is that coming (laughs) i've tried to stall my best on watches whiskey and stallone i noticed that i know you've been trying to stall Mm -hmm. and deflect and you know weave around that but i actually started an instagram for watches whiskey and design just to start following i haven't done any postings at this point i've just started following a lot of other watch collectors and just kind of getting into it more and seeing what the lay of the land is like. But I want, if we're to do that, if we're to do that, I want Todd and I to both do the separate podcast, the extra podcasts as a break off at mm. the same time. Mm. I want you to do your James Cameron rant fest <laughs> or I have, I have or much David to say. Fincher or most of it complimentary. <laughs> I, I'd love to do some breakdowns of directors. There's a lot of the, the directing podcasts, but I'd, oh, I'd love it if we did that at the same time. The issue is still, we're still a hundred percent focused on this show and building up to the test drive channel and building up, you know, what is the next film and what is the next TV episodes and, you know, really incorporating travel again into our shooting, into our lives 
for the background, for the sake of the background, for yeah, different yeah. experience. The cars are in an environment that is suited to them, but is different. So each episode has a different look to it, even though we like a bright, colorful kind of style, kind of look. But I think that's still our commitment. But, you know, I'll, I'll say I, I'm still buying time. I'm still buying time. You are buying time, yeah. <laughs> Michael Olga said he wanted to thank us for helping him get out of a soul-sucking Prius. He now has a Mini Cooper S, and his wife is getting a Kia Seltos in Neptune blue. Hey guys, honestly, this is why the podcast and the show exists because cars are expensive. And if you have any interest at all, I want you to get out of it and be like, Oh, I drive that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we want you to look back and love it. So I'm glad that you do. Oliver T. Hinton said, if you needed to get a minivan, which one would you get? Hmm. We liked that Toyota, the Sienna. We liked it a lot. It was pretty it was impressive. Good. Yeah, it was good. A lot going on. We're there. about to have the Kia Carnival, so we'll see what we think of that yeah, one. Indeed. Apparently, we're getting we're getting everything. This is what the test drive th- channels for. I we're think getting Kia said they're everything. I think Kia said they're sending us two. We're hoping they send a red and a blue one. Then <laughs> if, we'll drag race. If them. they're smart, they're sending that. us yes, two for sure. Yep. Because it'll just be <laughs> not really review of what the features are. We just did smoky burnouts with red and blue Kia Carnivals. Uh, Josh, you asked a question. Name a car that didn't make sense to buy new but is a perfect used car. I'll give you one that I've actually called that on this podcast. When BMW released the, it was like 2012, 2013, the 335iS. Mm-hmm. This is during the generation of the E90 series. If you don't speak that, it's, uh, yeah, it's again, it's the 2012, 2013. It was when they were doing a V8 M3. This was the car below the V8 M3. It was like $55,000. And I was like, not good enough for $55,000. They're 18 to 20 now. And at that money, it's a brilliant buy. Mm-hmm. Love it. Question from Billy Milligan says, what unobtainable European or JDM car Ooh. cars would we love to get our hands on? You mean to own or to drive or just to experience? Yes. Mm, I, I'm liking some of the new stuff. Well, here's here's the idea. Go to Tom Helmanzik's Instagram page, mm. and all of the cars that he's getting that we don't get here, those are the ones I want to drive. Alpine A110. Yeah, that's top that's of my really list. Good. Top really of good. my list, yes. I like the GR Yaris. I want to experience that. There's just, there's a lot. Yeah. What else? I'm looking for a question from Barbara Peterson. She asked a question earlier. I'll find it here, scrolling back. Man, oh man, they're literally. I'm trying to catch up to the ones <laughs> yeah, that I noticed, great. and then they went by. Oh, uh, you know what? Event Brello, you asked a question. You said you got married a couple months ago. Congratulations, uh, your wife. <clears throat> she loves her CVT Subaru Outback. I saw this question. You've said, "Did you make a huge mistake?" You did not. You did not. You found a partner for life. I think that's awesome. Let's address the Outback in the room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Outback somehow avoids the weird mystique that. So that wagons have all of the U S hates wagons and they can't yeah. buy the outback fast enough. It's cause the ride height is just guess, a little bit taller. It's, it's like it's, an SUV. It's, it's almost the size of like a GMC Acadia, which is nuts to think about. The thing about the outback that. is huge amounts of space, good value for money, all wheel drive, which makes people feel safe. Subaru's done a phenomenal job of shopping. Hey, you must have all wheel drive to be safe. So all of those things work. It is a, it is a car that works so well for what it wants to do. I think it is a great car for people that need all those features and aren't concerned about what their car is. Mm-hmm. So if you married someone who they just don't care that much about cars and that car speaks to them and they say, I love this for what it does. That still works. The question, here's the flip side. If the fact that you married her and she loves her Outback, somehow that means you're driving her Outback every day, it's time for a conversation. 
<laughs> that was delicate. I found Barbara's question. Do we have stock music pieces for the TV episode mm. or do we have music composed for each episode? I would love it if we had music composed. Mm. We actually did starting out. Todd has a friend who is a composer. He's doing really well now. He's, He's really talented. and a yeah. Pretty big name. Now. He has a. Uh, Right? Minions that compose for him now. This Does is he well really? Oh, yes. yes his name's yes. Freddie Viedemann? Yes. I, is yes. that how you pronounce mm-hmm. his last name? Freddie Viedemann. And he has done some early pieces for us that we licensed from him. So he did a few pieces that he licensed elsewhere. But, you know, it was from a composer. He was early in his career. He did the noises for the Fisker Karma when it came out. So he composed all those sounds, the mm-hmm. hums, all the noises for that. But now he's... a literally a rock star in uh, in scoring world for for films and TV and uh so yeah we would we would love to do that but generally speaking uh for the TV ep- edits it's the piece first and then the music that suits the piece second yeah and we go to there's a lot of uh places where you can license music fairly inexpensively that is uh, that's already been composed and people put it up there and you can license it out we go there i would love it if we had uh, actual composers but there's just that's a a level of both workload and cost that we can't handle Got a question from Cheryl Cold who says, would we spend money on an old car when you know you won't get get the return? Yeah. Yeah, we do all the time. This is the disease. You yeah. have to spend the money uh-huh. knowing in your heart that you're not going to get the return. Who cares? Because it gives you joy in this moment. And that's that's really what we preach. So, yes, it's not about the next buyer. It's that saying. We've all heard it. You're not owning this for the next guy. You're not mm-hmm. owner for the next driver. So, yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where you buy the old car and then you start pouring a lot of money into it. And then it's really yours at that point, And then you really know you're never going to get your money back. But at that point, just enjoy it. Russell asked, do we prefer autocross or track days? I've done a bit of autocross. I prefer track days. I just I prefer the format of track days. I, honestly, because I feel like there's less waiting around. Mm-hmm. You know, you may stand around for a little bit, but then you're on track consistently for a period of time. My, my issue with autocross is the fact that it's just over so quick. And now you're back at the line. You're waiting to cycle through. It doesn't mean it's not fun. It's very fun. It teaches you like crazy. It's low speed, so it's safe. There's nothing wrong with autocross. Also, it's a very affordable way to do stuff where you feel the edges of your car. I love all of that. I just like the concentrated, the next 20 minutes, I am driving my car as fast as I can. I like that concentrated time. Michelle Webb, thanks for answering for asking your question. How are you? She's she is thinking about finally learning stick. She tried oh, learning good. on the WRX and a Camaro and stalled every time. The question is, is the Mazda Miata easier? Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And think about the cars that you want to learn on. If they're lower power, generally they'll have a lighter clutch, generally speaking. The higher power cars have a generally speak heavier clutch mm, yeah. just to manage that power going through the the uh, transmission. So, I encourage you look at it as a life skill. If it's not something you do every day, great, but you know, at least you have that kind of foundation skill. And I I want to proliferate that. It it really is a lot of fun. So I, I highly encourage you. Craig from the last podcast is asking why we don't have a shirt that says I traded my Lotus for a subpar Porsche. <laughs> or, Are we bringing that back up again? The, the, my Porsche <laughs> was subpar. I got a Lotus. How about that, Craig? That's the one I want. <laughs> right. I, I like the first one better. But, you know, it's all relative. I just love that we can te- tease each other endlessly about for it. For sure. So that's great. Taylor asks if there's a reason I don't drink. I don't have a problem with people that drink. I, I don't. I mean, really drunk people are annoying, let's be honest. But I just don't enjoy it. I, mm. I've tried it and I don't enjoy it. And so I'm like, well, it's expensive and it's not something I enjoy. Let's not do that. Kind of like watches. There you go. 
Well, I'm not inviting you on the Watches Whiskey and Design podcast. I would be a terrible guest. <laughs> Candidly, I would be a bad guest. You'd I would be, sitting be over there Mr. Going, Snark. Why are we talking about this again? <laughs> yeah, you don't want me on that podcast. <laughs> Another question from Billy M. who says, has the fact that 981 prices have flattened and in some instances gone up, has it made me more precious with my Cayman? No, it hasn't. As a matter of fact, I'm still working on myself to get less precious. Continue to treat it well and and be nice to it, of course, but still do things with it and put mileage on it. Now the weather's finally warm here in Utah, so we can. And yeah, I'm I'm excited to do that. I just I'm 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 not as I'm not thinking resale value. I'm not. Matt Campbell, hey man, we're looking forward to seeing you in Austin too. Uh, we've got this Austin meetup coming up. We're very excited. He's getting into mountain biking. There's some good trails near Austin. I've actually heard that, though I haven't ridden any of them, so I can't say. He's asking about suggestions on a bike that is okay on trails, but is a hybrid rounder. They're actually bikes I've referred to as hybrid bikes, and they look almost more like a road bike, but they have the capability of being off-road, and it has to do with the tires. Also, this time of year in Park City, we see guys that are on the biking trails, the mountain biking trails on their what look like actual road bikes, but they put thicker tires on them. And those guys bomb up the hill. So you can buy bikes literally referred to as hybrids that are almost city bikes, but you can take them on the trails. I would chase those. Noe Enriquez is saying here, when looking for a low-cost sports car, what mileage would scare you away? Mm, I saw this. This is good. Remembers when we were all hesitant of the Mini at 130,000 miles. You know, owning the Maserati, a Maserati. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that. With mm-hmm. 70,000 miles was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm just, that's right. We've got sponsorship. I'm buying, I'm using other people's money to do this. <laughs> I'm buying this car Woo! for the funny. Let's buy it. Yes. <laughs> but the SLK has, uh, well, it's getting up there. It's above 155,000 miles at this point. And so... It's running. Mm. It's just the cars are still equally scored at this point, the Jeep sports cars. And they're just running. They start every time. They're running. They're Mm. great. We still have hopefully a track piece coming and a performance testing piece coming. But I love that they're just still doing their thing. And I love what it's doing for all of you guys, fans of the show, who are asking us questions about German cars, German sports cars, cheap German sports cars. Should Mm. I? I don't know. Now... There are cars that will just, well, that part wore out. Somebody was hard on that. Absolutely, yes. It wore out, Mm -hmm. and so you can't judge it across the board. But I like getting the higher mileage cars and living with them. It's taken more fear out of it for Mm. me. And actually having the community more involved and just knowing more people who can wrench on cars has just almost eliminated that for me because it's it's really almost not about the mileage. It's the maintenance. That, that's the key thing I was going to say is it's all about the maintenance. You could have a car. Uh, look, it happens on Bring a Trailer every week. Somebody sells a car that's never been driven. I don't want to buy that car and ever try to drive it. Yeah. Because it sat there for 20 yeah. years and has been driven. You sell me the same all car. All Ferraris. 100,000 miles, and I at least think it's probably going to be a runner. But if the person hasn't taken good care of it, I don't care what the mileage is. I'm scared of it. The other thing to ponder is if you get a car over 100,000 miles, it's reached a place where stuff is wearing out. It's not that car. It's not that brand. It's the fact that once you get over 100,000, certainly 100 to 120,000, look at any car's maintenance schedule. Serious stuff is wearing out and needs to be replaced. So if you're willing to do that, you can find great cars with high mileage. Mm. 94J Rose asking a question, taking us in a different direction. Do either of us smoke meat? <laughs> if so, do we have a favorite meat to smoke? Okay. I, 
I like smoked meats. I like this. <laughs> you will consume it. <laughs> they're, they're very delicious. But uh, no, to be honest, my brother-in-law actually likes to uh, to dabble with a smoker. He was getting into smoking cheeses and uh, some vegetables, and he did some jalapeno peppers and then made uh, some feijoada, and it was really good, and paella, and he made all this kind of stuff. So he's the guy that was a, uh, during his college years, he was a tableside chef at one of those really high-end restaurants. So you've got all the ingredients and one of those you know hot grills, mm-hmm. the big ones that are tableside, and this is how he worked his way through college and so he's used to just ingredients and just making stuff and so he'll now walk to the fridge and do the same thing that's how he was trained Mm -hmm. just oh we've got some left over here we've got some left over this stuff and he'll just grab it and throw it out and uh, so he's always just dabbling in that kind of stuff i'm the beneficiary when i go to visit my sister and my brother-in-law so it's it's really great fadley j asked me can i elaborate on my lotus road trip plans i i've just decided that I want to do a few road trips in that car because I don't drive it far enough for fun roads enough. I love driving it, but I realize that I do a lot of daily stuff in it and not a lot of big event stuff in it. So I want to do some events to answer your further question. How am, how far am I willing to drive per day in the Elise? I did uh, 800 <laughs> miles when I bought it from Los Angeles to Salt Lake and I drove through 115 degree heat in Nevada on I-15 and that was horrible. Okay. It was, it was genuinely (laughs) horrible. Emphasis on horrible. Yes. Because the car's air conditioner can keep the car about 15 degrees cooler than the outside air. You do the math. So that's not working. Um, but I have to have to say, I think I would do 250 to 300 miles in that car. And I think that's a good full day in that car. Beyond that, it's starting to just hurt. I mean, because beyond Mm -hmm. that, it's starting to be difficult in any car. And now you're in the Lotus with a new rattle over there and whatever. But 250, 300, I'd do that for sure. Yeah, indeed. A question from Matt Wong. When do we think carbon fiber wheels will become popular? It comes down to price, price per pound of pitch or carbon itself, raw carbon itself. Mm. So it really just does come down to that. I mean, of course, they're incredible, but they also can't be fixed like forged or cast wheels can be fixed. Once you ding it, and in most cases, once it's wrecked, once it's dinged, you can't do it because of structural integrity. So that will always keep the price high because you've got to throw it out, which is a bummer. But we love carbon fiber wheels. Yes, yes to all of that. But, you know, such a cost thing of the raw materials. Are we going to Texplex in Texas? We're not going to Texplex. He keeps That's joking with bummer, me about the Plex it? everything, all the, the Plexes. The Metroplex. <laughs> he was describing to me today about Katie in the, the, Houston. The Metroplex of, is growing, growing to meet Syntex. And so it's oh. all just going to be, some, I don't know. I don't know what we call that when they all merge, <laughs> but it's coming. I guarantee you. <laughs> wow. Uh, oh, break check show. Hello, guys. Uh, what do we prefer, mountain bike season or ski season? That I, is hard. Uh, yeah, it is. I didn't get as many ski days as I wanted this year, but mountain bike season, springtime in Utah is just, there's, it's just full of promise. There's just so much to be done and it's just great. So, Summer and fall here are spectacular. Just so good. Yeah. I, I love skiing, grew up skiing. We both did, of course, but yeah, I, I love mountain bike season. I love just springtime, you know, it's just great. Have we seen <clears throat> boondoggles asking the question? Oh, yeah. Okay. Have we seen the Plymouth Neon on Bring a Trailer with 60 miles on it last Plymouth ever made? Now, the fact mm-hmm. that it's the last ever made of the brand, I actually have to say that's something interesting. For Plymouth to own, for FCA to own and put in their museum in their lobby. It needs to be in a museum, not, not sitting in somebody's person. collection no. and going for some obscene amount of money. What should happen? Because the guy that actually bought that, I read the article about it. The guy that actually bought it worked for Plymouth. 
and made sure he specced it as best he could and drove it off the lot himself when it was made. I mean, that's the reason. The company should buy it back from him. Stellantis should buy that car. This yes. guy was a loyal employee. He yes. preserved that car. They should buy it from him. That's a nice appreciation. And bring a trailer and going yeah. up to whoever decides they want to leave the plastic on the seats. That's my take. Jeff Wishcamper says, would we prefer to have something classic like a 944 Turbo or modern like a recent Cayman in our own garage? I admit to being more focused on design than wrenching, even though I know how to do some stuff, but my garage is not set up for wrenching, so I'd rather have something more modern, but the old stuff is calling my name too, so... I know both isn't an answer, but come on. I, I want both. I have to have both. Devin asks, since we mountain bike, do we wear open face, full face helmets, elbow, knee pads, etc.? Devin, I wore the, the standard mountain bike helmet until I flew off my handlebars and hit a tree and broke that helmet yeah. and decided, you know, uh, my face, <laughs> such as it is, is on camera at least once a week. This is me face. So I should probably try to defend it. So I got a full face helmet, you know, the one that comes down here like this. But I get on all these trails that is that full face helmet is massive overkill. Yeah. And I see people riding by me like, is that guy falling over later? What's what? Why the big helmet? So but I wear it just because I realize, you know what? You guys don't want to see road rash down the side of my face. Should something go wrong? No, so I, I, I should get one. one of those. Actually, I should actually take care of my body a little bit better. But uh, yeah, a question here. NAR472. Do I have any favorite books about car design? As a matter of fact, if you go to everydaydriver.com and you go to the store tab, you can find on our Amazon list of all the books that we recommend. Mm. One of a, one of the great ones is H point, And that stands for hip point in the car. The H point and the I point is a huge deal as far as function and packaging for cars. That's really where car designers start. How high is your hip above the ground and how high is your eye level? And that Fiat 500 that we've talked about is a great example because the design team deliberately made your eye point higher. So you're looking other drivers in the eye, making you feel like you're driving a real car, even though it's a tiny little car. Mm -hmm. That was a deliberate choice. So they raised the H point, therefore raising your eye point. That's a good foundation for packaging. And whenever I say packaging, that means packaging the engine, the people, the luggage. What do you want the car to do? The suspension. And then... If it's a car that already exists, like we're just doing a refresh, you have the mm. A pillar because that's the most expensive thing for a car manufacturer to change because that's the crash test standard right there in the A pillar area, the firewall. That part is very expensive to do any changes to. So you need to take that along with the H point, the I point, and then re-sculpt, redesign everything. So that's why we say, oh, well, they didn't go too far. It's very expensive to do that unless, you know... Companies like BMW decide to throw cost into the wind and do it anyway. <laughs> Two back-to-back Elise questions, one from Dan Combs, one from uh, Greg Witherspoon. How many miles are on the Elise? I, I just realized this week I was talking to you about it. That's got just over 70,000 miles on it, which for an Elise is actually a lot. And That's I've high. doubled the mileage since I owned it. I bought it for, for about 33,000, 34,000, and I just realized recently I'm coming up on almost 71,000, so I've doubled the mileage of that car. I'm actually proud of that in the last four years. Does it hurt my back? It does not. That's the crazy thing. It has probably the simplest seats you'll ever find in a car. They're and they're the pro lawn chairs. Yep, they're, they're, it's unbelievable how simple they are. Yes, you said that before, but I, but I still submit to you that they are surprisingly comfortable because the body position is so right. The 05s had a weird inflatable bladder thing for the, uh, the lumbar. Mine, starting in 06, it was a Probax reseat design. doesn't have the bladder. Honestly, I find it better than a lot of big modern seats we get in. 
Was it like a blood pressure cuff? Like one it, of those, it like, was <laughs> the one in the O five was, was it really? absolutely like that, and it, and it never really held. I mean, invariably they just leak. So over you're time. driving around like this? Yes, yes, that's exactly what it was like. But the O six and up don't have that. I, I actually oh, find funny. the seats to be great because the body position is so good in that car. Getting in and out is the hard part. But again, any car after four hundred miles, I think, is not fun anymore. Mm. Oh, question here. Uh, what is our favorite vehicle from the Marvel films? Jordan S. is asking. Well, I got to say, I give a shout out to my buddy Damon Shell, who has the Acura in it with, you know, all the uh, the Avengers, the team Avengers. Uh, the ZDX thing? The ZDX. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, so yeah. I believe that was Damon all over that. And uh, yeah, every time I see it, I just think of Damon. So that's it. Wow. So, God, that, seriously, <laughs> I, I look up and I can't find And then one more have poured in. This is great. It's really good stuff. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. What qualities do we like most than a good performance driving instructor? Cars and comments asking that. How are you? Um, this is hard because driving instructors, if they're sitting right seat, they are to some degree putting their life on the line. And yeah. We know folks yeah. at RSR, we go for pilgrimage trip that have been, that are great driving instructors and have been hurt on the ring because somebody crashed their car with them in it. Uh, this is very hard in that regard. Mm-hmm. I, I say that to say this. I don't think instructors should grab the wheel. I think it freaks everyone out. Completely agree. I think it freaks the person they're teaching out, and I don't yeah. think it ends up in yeah. places. However, there is a, a self-preservation thing that you want to grab the wheel. And I had this experience when we did our recent, I don't think I told you this, we did our recent manual transmission teaching thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my son was one of the camera people. And I'm sitting there with Sophie, who was also, besides learning manual transmission, she's learning to drive. And we had a so moment where crazy. she had to turn past him and you can see the tail of it in the piece. She had to turn past him and brake. And she decided to turn. To, so she was aiming at him and then stopped braking and didn't keep turning because now she was worried about, well, how much do I brake? And on, you're trying to teach. So I grabbed the wheel and turned it further because oh. I was like, we need to be further away from my son while you're braking because yeah. she was like, turn. Oh, oh now I should brake. I shouldn't turn anymore. So, I mean, even I've, I've done it. I just don't think instructors should grab the wheel. Uh, also, they should try to be ahead of you on instructions. And that sometimes is hard to calibrate because as a driver, you want to you wanna give the instruction when you need to do the instruction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But for a driver to hear you and respond, you have to be ahead of when it needs to happen. Yeah, indeed. Chris Hutch4 says, what is the turning point that made us go full-time on the show? It was uh, a realization when the tech company that I worked for left me behind and Todd was, we'll say, disgruntled with the job he commuted to Salt Lake for. And we're both going, now's the time. Now is the time to push really hard. And it was the feedback, honestly, from our audience, from you guys, that is the continued encouragement to just continue to podcast and feel like we're all in this thing together really is, is what we feel like because of the, the uh, interaction that we get from you guys. So that was the turning point and say, look, let's push really hard. Let's, let's see what it could become because we know what the answer is if mm-hmm. we don't. And so let's totally push hard. Right. G Weeper 64 asks if my wife Kate will ever be on again. Thank you guys for all the great response to that uh, Valentine's Day podcast. We've talked about, I don't know, tell, tell us, write us emails, whatever. We've talked about maybe making that an annual Valentine's era thing. Maybe because so many of you have people in your life that do not like cars as much as you do. And you liked having someone to commiserate with. And that was my wife to be like, what is going on here? So maybe she'll be back. We'll see. She actually, she, she got, she's an actress. It was really yes, weird because yes. she's an actress and she's just no stage fright. She got about 30 minutes from this thing. and was like, I don't know if I want to do this. <laughs> and funny. then she had fun, which I'm really glad about. Yeah. The funniest part to me was all the snark. And all the commentary she gave us before, like the weeks leading up to it, she was like, oh, yeah, that's probably going to be you yeah. know, this and that. And mm-hmm. 
It's just like, you're going to have fun. You're going to like it. Yes, Josh, the show, the show is more than full-time. Even when we had full-time jobs, this was, yeah. more, this was not the side hustle. This was the hustle. But anyway, I'm glad we get to do it full-time now. Mm, John Guanci says, what's worse, meeting your car hero or owning your perfect daily driver? Owning a perfect daily, I, I mean, it fits the job, but... Uh, my car hero was the Porsche 959, and I met it, and I loved it. So yeah, you I, did. I mean, I, I came in it knowing that it, it's not the modern supercar standards when we drove it against the GT2 RS. Sure. That was quite an experience. But, yeah, I, I always had loved that car, and so I just came in and just enjoying it for what it was. And so I didn't come away thinking, man, you know, can you believe it's just one function per switch? What a you know, cruddy piece <laughs> of thing. Why are we doing this? Yeah, that's funny. You know. McNow asks if the American original film is going to be updated. You have been listening. I am working on a uh, C8 compilation video because we drove three last year. I'm working on a kind of a, a big C8 piece review that covers a lot of what we feel about that car to add to this American original film. It hasn't finished yet because now we're in the midst of uh, season nine post, but it will be done this year. We'll add to that. We'll update that film for that. Big shout out to Jonas Axbo. I see your question here, Jonas. Thank you for writing in. Really appreciate you following. Any future plans for mods on the Cayman? Have I done any mods yet? That yeah, I, I'm thinking about it. I have. Um, yeah, money is an object. Uh, I I'm pulled in a lot of different directions. <laughs> Do you remember a few years ago how it was? It is a deck, and now it's sort of landscaping, and I have to make the property look nice. So there's that. And uh, yeah, I was thinking about a Cobb tune, but otherwise. When I've had it on track, I just think I just I, I still have a limit to go find. There's still more available, which is exciting. And I kind of want to feel like I've rung out a car and gotten all I can out of it mm-hmm. before, you know, thinking about, all right, I need more power. Because if I did anything, it probably would be brakes. It probably would be a, a brake upgrade. And the biggest thing is I'd want a separate set of wheel and, and uh, wheels and tires just for track use because it just it chews through the uh, the PS4s in a dramatic, uh, unstoppable way. It is a, it is a tire chewing monster, so, which is not what I expected from that car, but it is. For I mean, sure. you would think power, but I I really do enjoy it for where it's at. It, it would have to be incremental incremental for me if I did anything. But thanks for your question, really appreciate it. Is the E30 M3 overrated? Brace yourself. <laughs> Landmines and, and hand grenades. And How are you going to navigate this, uh, Taylor? Here, here's the thing. The E30 M3 is awesome. It is, when you drive it, you understand why it is beloved. All of the inputs are so well balanced. That is one of those cars where nothing overwhelms anything. A lot of times you'll get in a car, this happens to us. It's so powerful. The power is the only talking point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or or the handling, like the FRS, the handling is amazing, but the power is disappointing. So where's that balance? Finding balance in a car is hard. The, the E30 M3, that's the first M3, the late 80s M3, is phenomenal for balance. It is not fast. It is old. It feels old when you drive it. If you're looking for a classic driving experience, it's way up there. This is my close. That car is great up to about 30 or 40 grand. It's not a $100,000 car. <laughs> except it's just it is. It, it's, except it's, that it is now. It's not, but it is. It is yeah. not a $100,000 driving experience. <laughs> it's not one of those cars to be like, well, whatever it costs, I have to have an E30 M3. If you're an M3 person, I get it, but oh, that's hard. 
Question here from Eugene Dev says he knows what I mean by mashed potatoes on the shifter feel. He drives a Chevy Cruze. He hates that car. I wish you all success in your next car purchase. So thanks for writing. Really appreciate your question, Larry Lampshade. What do we think of the Haldex all-wheel drive systems? Thinking of taking a hard look at the Golf R. Test drove one, but can't drive it hard. Obviously, don't like <laughs> front-wheel drive characteristics. Larry, we've talked about this on a few of our Golf R pieces, and I'll get angry letters from Golf R owners. I know. Uh, locally, I'll give this plug real quick. Locally, we have friends at mm-hmm. Integrated Engineering, mm-hmm. and they do phenomenal tuning yeah. to Volkswagen products. We drove one of their Golf R's with crazy power, and they, they retuned the Haldex system. It was awesome. In general, that system is a system where it is a front-wheel drive car, and it doesn't even engage the back half until it senses slip. And in my experience, by the time it senses slip and does something about it, the moment has passed. Or the moment sure, has passed enough sure. that I'm like, oh, that's right. This is still front-wheel drive. Oh, wait. Now it's got something to do. So I, what I prefer is the good symmetri- and the symmetrical all-wheel drive from Subaru is awesome because it's always running. Or the ones that are rear-biased, like Porsche's is rear-biased, that's awesome. It's that, that slip and then grip thing that just – it's always a step behind. Mm-hmm. John Tumblin says, any thoughts on the new Volkswagen Mark 8 Golf R? His fiance has a Mark 7 Golf R. She's thinking about trading it in for the Mark 8 and wants to know what we think about mm. what we've seen so far. Of course, it's hard to speculate without driving it. I do like the updated style, even though it's incremental. Oh, that's being kind. It's just – yeah. Did they change anything? To, to most people, you're going to look at it and be like, who cares? There it is, the new Golf, whatever. I believe that it will have a lot more power, which will freak some people out to the mm-hmm. point where it's not just, hey, great enthusiast car. I think it's going to be along the lines of, hey, Volkswagen was looking at the integrated engineering guys going, who knows? I think you're onto something here. We should do something like that, which is hilarious good fun. So, yes, it's, it's like that 400 concept that they did with the Golf a while back, a few years ago. And, yeah, bring it. It's just, it's still going to be that tuner platform that everybody will think, great, more power. Let's add more. Well, that's the thing that any time we say that the Volkswagens aren't excited enough, exciting enough from the factory, which I'll admit, I say often, the people go, yeah, but then, the, and I, I get the list of all the tunes you're supposed to do to make it right. But this is why we tune stuff from the factory. Mm-hmm. But this is what the factory yeah. wanted. So that definitely happens. I think it will be very, very good. I want it to be less sterile, less clinical, and which more engaging. We'll and I have my doubts, John. The fact that they're doing a drift yeah. mode, we'll see. Kevin Fessner says, <clears throat> Kevin, we're going to have a talk here. <laughs> I would like to get a 2006 Volkswagen Phaeton W12. Is this a good, fun choice? Just a little bit of an intervention here. Kevin, oh gosh. Okay. I think you should get a Phaeton. I genuinely think you should. The W12 adds an extra layer of this is going to kill me to your finances. Okay. It just, it just does. I think if you could get an 06, the 06 is when they had them sorted. I know that sounds crazy, but the 04, like I had, the suspension goes bad. My suspension went bad. There's lots of other things that they hadn't kind of sorted yet. The 06 is, that's, that's the buy there, man. Honestly, I think they're great. The W12, that is an engine that needs your wallet. So I think if you got a really mm. nice 06 mm. V8, you might enjoy that car for a while and be surprised at how well it runs. I think the W12 just adds another layer that kind of terrifies me. The other problem is that the W12s that I've seen are going for like 30 grand and that's just that's just too much of a gamble. Mm. So what are you mm-hmm. buying? I think I I, I recommend a Phaeton to you because it's a great experience. It's very fun. <laughs> it just needs someone's wallet attached to yes, it. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Money needs Preferably to jump off the ground and yeah. stick to the Phaeton. Man, oh man. Yeah. All right, uh, what else? 
let's see. Oh, do we review fan cars? Mod A says he would offer his SLS for us to experience. Mm. Yes, bring that. We absolutely do. And <laughs> where are you in love doing Utah? that? Yeah. So we do have more of an outlet for those kinds of cars. And we're thinking about the test drive channel. That's definitely more of the shopping experience. But for your car, like an SLS, absolutely, We've, we'd love to drive it. But l- listen, we're always thinking in terms of positioning. And who is buying that car used at this point? Because they're no longer new, of course. So who is buying that? And is there more interest in putting it with something as a comparison that would inform our commentary in a different way? Because as much as we love doing single car reviews, that seems for us more towards the test drive channel and a new car, new shopping experience, being able to you know discuss that on the podcast and re- make recommendations. But for a car, a special car like yours, I say yes, but what does it go with? What is there? Mm, mm. What is the little film around that car that is sort of interesting? And where's the location? But otherwise, if keep those things in mind and write to us, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. Love it. Holy cow, 512. Would we say the current Lexus LC500 is a fun to drive on twisty back road car? Is it better as a GT? How much are you going to do twisty back roads? If you're a person where you're going to daily that car, if you're going to commute in it and take long road trips and occasionally be on a back road, I think it's way up there. I, I've said this before. I think the, the Lexus LC500, besides being gorgeous with a ton of presence, we saw one in L.A. last night and both like, look at that thing. It's just, it's just got presence. It's, got it's presence. so cool. It was on custom wheels, too, and, and we're just like, ah. And you know it's going to run. Yeah. And it's got a very nice interior. So if I think that the LC500 is what your average old guy buying a Corvette should be buying because I think okay. if you were going to be, <laughs> okay. I, bu- I bought this car for weekend back roads. It's the wrong buy. Mm. If you mm-hmm. bought it for daily, if you bought it for road trips and occasionally you find yourself on a nice road, it's a phenomenal choice. And I think that's how the, the typical Corvette, older Corvette buyer, like my father is lo- what he's looking for. And so I think the LC 500 is great, but it depends on your usage. There's, it's a mixed bag car for back roads. Simon is able says, is there a good reason to switch from a front engine rear wheel drive to something small and fun like a mini JCW? That's kind of the same thing as what I'm seeing. But if you're looking for that new experience and you're already driving that, well, you're driving probably something else. You're, You're wanting the mini. If there is a car that you're wanting and eyeballing and you really, really want it, we're here to justify your purchase and say yes and encourage you. We get that a lot. And people wanting to, you know, they're saying, hey, I'm really interested in this car. I'd Mm. like it for this, this, and this reason. Yeah, we want to encourage that. But if you're truly wanting the different driving experience and you've done the front front engine rear wheel drive, well, yeah, many, many would be good, I suppose. Yeah, I like it. I like it. That'd be cool. Alexander says his dad loves cars but hasn't had a fun car in 20 years. His dad used to own a 1965 Porsche 356. He sold it for $13,000 in 2004. Mm. Can we imagine Mm -hmm. what that car would be worth now? Mm. Ouch. What would we recommend for him getting into a cheap car now, a Porsche 944 or a C4 Corvette? I think the 944 would connect to his Porsche love, but it would be totally different than that 911. I mean, that 356 was just totally different feel. So does he even like a front engine 944 feel? If you're going to go that feel, I think the C4 you could find cheaper with cheaper parts and get maintained easier than the 944. I think it'd just be easier to get it up to running speed than the 944, I suspect. I could be wrong. The turbos, for sure, I feel that way. The C4 is a great choice. Honestly, have him look at Boxsters. That's good. Have him look at a portion of Boxster because I think that is new enough, cheap enough, will run, and I think he'd just like it. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I'm looking for more questions here. <laughs> this is great. It's great, guys. Really good. Wow. Uh, Brian S., what do we recommend for good driving front-wheel drive cars for sub $10,000? He had a 500 BART for about a year, but wanted more handling and dynamics. The SST. Yeah, of course, with the <laughs> SST, and that's what we compared it against. There is that. And I saw another question earlier about uh, Fiesta STs and saying, Nobody who isn't a car person gets that car. You're right. <laughs> you're you're dead on. Anytime I pointed yeah. it out to Kate, she was like, "Why do you like that?" What <laughs> yeah. that? It's she, her her list is it's ugly. It looks like it's cheap. Why is it crazy orange? I was like, because it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, definitely Fiesta ST, and they're sub ten now. Finally, finally, years later, they're sub ten. It's great. What else you got over there? <laughs> Did my wife get a Rubicon? Not yet. She keeps bugging me. She keeps going, you have your Lotus. You know what my Lotus is? It's a Jeep. Yeah. Uh, she, we've had that conversation. Hi, honey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. The questions. This is great, guys. Well, we will begin to wrap things up uh, here. We're, wow, good good amount past an hour, but this is awesome. I I can't believe that uh, we're at 600. And like I said, it's due to you guys writing your stories to us. And what I love is... Now we're getting emails from people who have had, you know, say in the early 200s, you know, they had a recommendation or they, Mm -hmm. you know, they were either their story was featured on the podcast and then, you know, they bought something or they just kind of got a different idea and they wrote to us and said, all right, I'm ready for the second round. That's kind of where we (laughs) are with the podcast. It's It's sort of like, all right, I've had that for three or four years. Mm -hmm. Guys, what's next? Because cars are, more cars are being built. They continue to proliferate and the cars that we want are coming down in price. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. We're in a weird bump right now for price. But thank you guys for being with us. Thank you guys for following the podcast. Again, every Tuesday and Friday are new episodes. They will not always be here on YouTube. This is a, we don't always live stream. We just sit here and have a cool conversation. And that comes out anywhere you get podcasts on Tuesdays and Fridays. That will continue. We are doing uh, videos every single week on the Test Drive channel. If you don't know, we are doing videos about every other week on our original Everyday Driver channel, which is where you're finding Mm -hmm. this. All of these feature films are available on Amazon as Blu-rays or also streaming. Our relationship with Amazon and our TV seasons is um, uh, in conversation uh, because they are changing some of their rules, and that may that may bump us off the platform. But we are still on Amazon currently. We are bringing our older TV episodes to this original YouTube channel as well, in addition to our Cheap Sports Car Challenge. And I have to say it again, and I can't, I can't even explain to you how much I want to tell you. But Paul and I have our next cars picked, <laughs> and we are we are holding each other back. Basically, Paul's holding me back from telling you what it is right yeah, now because uh-huh. uh, I'm quite excited. I, I already have the shirt that matches the car that I already have, and I, I can't wait to share it. Yeah, so we're excited about the next <laughs> series. But we've got a lot more to come on this current cheap car series with the Z4 and the SLK, including a huge, almost feature film scale piece coming up on that No Pressure but let's get season nine. Done. Indeed. Indeed. Two last questions for me, James Lang in Australia. I see your question. Thank you. He's looking at buying a Subaru brat and trying to convince his minister of finance. <laughs> I, I saw it. somebody write to us. I forget who it was, but they said an ed minister of finance. You're like, that's, that's good too. It's good. Oh yeah. I, I like that. But minister of finance could be but whatever gender. It doesn't be, matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Sure. So yes, James, I encourage you. Everybody that talks about the brat, me included, like, does it have the jet fighter handles in the back and the no see, seat belts? Okay. To like, Sorry, I've just landed on something. Okay. (laughs) I have to buy an Isuzu Via Cross, and you have to buy a Brat, and we have to go off-road. That's not what we're planning to do next, by the way, but that apparently is... Those could take us through winter. has to happen. Because these two new cars might not really take us through winter. what's going to happen is, if you get the thing with the jet fighter seats in the back, we're going to have to do the stupid video where I'm freezing to death, hanging on to the seats in the back while you drive it with the heater on. With the... (laughs) 
Exactly. That's what's going to happen. Exactly. Uh, I, I love and hate that this is how this stuff develops, but thank you guys for asking, asking the questions uh, that leads us to this madness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we have a high revving engines question here. I think it was, uh, who was that? Uh, holy cow, 512. As enthusiasts, we love high revving naturally aspirated engines. Common complaint with the GT350 in Cayman is it's hard to access higher revs without breaking speed limits. What's the solution? Get your butt on track. That is the solution. Uh, we've got another question here. Am I going to feature my dad and his Corvette in a future episode? So many of you guys like that story, and that's why I shared it, because I couldn't believe that my dad finally went and bought one, and he loves it. And my mom outdrives my dad with it, which I makes love me that. laugh. They'll drive somewhere. She drives it home. She drives it faster, which he's like, man, your mom's got a heavy foot. I'm like, it's a Corvette. Let's do something here. I, I'm wondering how to get my dad in that car and to show him what's possible and to see if he can drive beyond what he normally does, which is slow. So if I could do something like that. Are you talking that, about lessons or what are, you, what are you referring to? I'm just, I'm just wondering about getting – because, see, I don't think he's – he's not a guy that's ever going to track that car. He's no. just That's not no. who he is. But I'm just wondering about showing – taking him out and getting him some driving that we go quickly on a back road. And then I'm like, all right, it's your car. So let's, mm-hmm. let's work on – what you're not doing. Because now we've always talked about not having your spouse teach you to drive manual or ski or water ski or anything. And now you're talking about teaching your dad to, because you'll be in the passenger seat being like, come on. Yes. But I think, but I think if he understood, if I was driving the car to to show him what's possible, it's the instructor thing on track. But you don't want to scare him just for the sake of look what I can do. No, 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 no. I don't. But which is funny because that threshold is low. I mean, this is this is a man <laughs> that when I drive down the freeway, I get I get this maneuver. <laughs> he looks over, checks the speedometer, and I, I like I could feel your head here, Dad. I know what you're doing. Trust me, we're going to be fine. You know. So maybe maybe funny. there's a video coming in that line. It's a good, it's a good question. I like that. <laughs> Guys, thank you for all your questions. This is fantastic. If we didn't get to your question, please keep asking on social media. As you heard Todd say, we post up for questions on Mondays and Thursdays mm-hmm. for podcast release on Tuesdays and Fridays. And yeah, check out the Texas meetup if uh, you're coming to that or you can. We'd love to see you there. Thanks again, guys. Really you appreciate guys are it. Awesome. Thank you. Six hundred. So really Amazing. Appreciate it. Thanks. Six hundred. Cheers, everyone.